Yes, friends. On a Monday, it is, of course, OGP, where, as always, the One Time Podcast with Adam Armbrecht and the healthy, the wealthy, wise. Andrew Mackowitz, how are we, sir? Well, I may be feeling healthy and wealthy, but how are you feeling, Adam? Uh, rumor has it that you weren't feeling too hot this past uh, few days. Feels like a Groundhog's Day scenario, because I think this is the way we came in last week. We only did a Monday show last week. Now we're back this week. We'll get back to our multiples because, buddy, I tell you what, I uh, I wanted to confirm that summer colds are a thing, that you can get them, and that they can take you down harder than the winter flu season. Facts. It is all possible. It's very doable. And I just did it over the last <laughs> six, seven, possibly 43 days. Well, listen, we're, we're happy to have you back. You're looking a little bit better today, so I'm, I'm excited that uh, we got a couple shows coming up for everybody this week. Of course, sir. Now, we're going to get into uh, a few position battle previews for the training camp that kicks off on the 27th, so still another week away. The Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers will be getting their training camps underway tomorrow, 21st. Uh, it could be two days away because they'll be playing in the Hall of Fame game, of course, to kick off the season, so uh, they get underway a little bit sooner. The other things that we're going to talk about, though, too, is, of course, the offensive line, the big expectations, and some basically looking back to last year and then maybe getting a, a sample size from another rookie, actually, QB, around the league that, that tells you, hey, the lift needs to happen on not only the offensive line in front of, but also the guy under center as well. Before we do... Have you looked into it all? Because as we know, you're the season ticket holder, generational season ticket holder for the New York Football Giants. The uh, fan fest that's going to be going on at the stadium. Eli Manning, new spokesperson. I love him in the role. He's out there kind of flaunting all the fancy things that will be going on. Is that something that you would normally go to? Is it something you would now go to because you have baby Rory? Well, they're they're actually sold out at FanFest. Um, they they did it already. Yeah, free, it, it, free tickets, right? It, it was free it was, tickets. I, I could have grabbed some. It was it was free tickets. Um, I think they capped it out at fifty thousand. Um, just because there's still different protocols that everyone has to adhere to. Um, ended up selling out pretty quick. The website was down for a, a, a little while, and um, I think Eli Manning sent out a tweet that was like, "Hey guys, sorry, first time on the job. You know what I mean? Like I'm <laughs> trying to do what I can." Which yeah. he always Eli just finds the perfect way, like. You know, I saw other people commenting. They're like, he just gets Twitter, right? Like, just being like old dad funny for him, like, is is perfect, right? Saquon uh, Saquon Barkley's photo at training camp. Eli, stop photoshopping my legs onto your body. I mean, the, the guy, yeah, he gets it. It's just gold. Um, so so uh, normally I probably would go. I think um, we may be away um, on vacation that week, so that's why I didn't really push too hard to to get tickets, but. You know, fans are going to be back. You know, the the response from fans was overwhelming, um, and and they sold out within probably a day or two. I think uh, of when they released it. I think it's fantastic, and I don't listen. I'm not going to sit here and say that Eli Manning is the orchestrator of these things, but you know, the 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 overlap of him moving into this role. But I I think there's a difference between when you have former Giants. When you think about someone in the public spotlight like a Michael Strahan, okay, yeah, but he has a full career, right, in front of the camera. He has an entire broadcast career with his morning shows, et cetera, and then Sunday on Fox and everything else. So when you think about former Giants that are in the upper echelon of the greats of all time and then getting one of them to be the face of these things, I think it changes the way you look at this kind of stuff. And obviously, Eli Manning, no one's higher uh, on the on the chart there for the New York football giants. 
I feel like this allows the Giants maybe to do some more stuff like that, like maybe to be more fan engaged because you have Eli Manning kind of as the the guy, the, the music man leading the brigade. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how th- things play out with Eli because, you know, he needed that year away from the Giants just to like, like remove any doubt that Eli Manning was going to play quarterback anymore, right? Like if he just stays in the building, they're like, hey, why don't you just uh, grab a helmet? You know, why don't you just throw on some pads and maybe, you know, help save us. And at least getting that year away, like he's transitioned now into like the Giants ambassador, which which makes a ton of sense. Um, I'm curious to see, you know, this is all like, you know, brand new testing out different ideas and stuff. I'm sure that they're going to be doing new engagements with fans that they've never done before and never even had the opportunity to think about before. You know, like you said, you've had other um, larger than life players like Michael Strahan that that have coming on Tiki Barber um, obviously is another noteworthy w- one that's in the media but Eli just feels like he has a different cachet with giant fans and I'm curious to see how they they leverage that um, this year and, and and the years to come no for sure so it'll be yeah it'll be fun it'll be exciting unfortunately Andy will not be reporting live from FanFest at uh, at MetLife Stadium a little bit down the road on to the football side of things. We said training camp is a week away. There are a few different position battles that we've talked about uh, over the course of the offseason. But I, th- there's one that I want to get to, and that's in the secondary and how this defense can continue to get stronger. But two quick ones that I think are worth noting because there's a couple of players that just feel like they've been a part of the team. They're going to be a part of the team. You start at the fullback position with Eli Penny, right? He, he's been He's been with the team for a number of years, and yet... They've never really utilized what is actually a strength in his game, pass catching out of the backfield. They haven't really leaned into that a lot. And when you think about the other running backs that have been brought into the room now, this is, as we said, a very complimentary group of players. They all can do the different things that you want alongside or behind Daniel Jones. Now you also bring in competition for Eli Penny. And it it does to me feel like if, and I'm going to, I'll probably butcher this Cullen, uh, Gillespie, Gillespie. Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds good. Yeah. If he can come in because he's more in the mold of a road grader, I just think it's going to be about fit. Like it just feels like this is a player that more fits the Joe judge model. And maybe even to that extent, a little bit of the Jason Garrett model. Although if you go back to Dallas Garrett and what the fullback was utilized or expected to do, there certainly had some versatility. But I, this is just one of those ones where I think I wouldn't be shocked if he turned around and it was, yeah, Eli Eli Penny's moved on simply because we now have all of the other complementary pieces around to really say selectively what do we want at some of these other key spots. Well, let's let's take let, let's go macro first and and think about this holistically, and that is the Giants still carry a fullback. Right. Like that's 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 a a relic in this in this day and age in terms of NFL football. How many how many teams actually carry a fullback and allocate a roster spot knowing how valuable they are when usually they can only do a certain subset of things? You know, the 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 Eli Penny piece is interesting. Um, Cullen comes over from the Texans was what you know, what what's interesting about him is he is, you know, tried and true special teams guy. And he only had, you know, 10, 20, 25, I think offensive snaps for the Texans. So he really wasn't even deployed as a fullback. He was kind of like the, Hey, if we need an extra blocker on fourth and one, he could come in and knock people around. Really. He's going to make his money on special teams so that, you know, we give other people a break and, and uh, you know, they can get some rest on the sidelines. 
I'm just interested in what, like philosophically, how do the Giants yeah. feel about the fullback position? Like, is it really just to be special teams and that fourth and one? Or to your point, are we going to try to put players in the best position to succeed, which Eli Penny can catch the ball in the backfield. He can make plays if the Giants want to do that. But when you have all pro, all world Saquon Barkley in the backfield, how many of these plays are you going to be calling for Eli Penny? Yeah, and that's what I yeah. So it's you know when you talk about Cullen, it's the idea of yes, you're, you're probably still going to make your living on as as a special teamer for the Giants, and then you look at the running back group and you go, and how often will we really need you? If we need you, it's good to have you. And then it is that you're just the guy's going to move bodies. But then the, it really what it comes down to is Eli Pen- Penny is almost his his talent or whatever his value is is wasted on the current iteration of this roster because of the talent you have in Saquon Barkley. And then also, like you said, philosophically, what what do you want to do offensively? Are you worried about having a lead block or are you trying to spread things out? Now you have, uh, you brought in Kadarius Tony in the draft. You brought in Galladay. Now you start to space out all these pieces and you go, listen, there's a world where a fullback's only going to get in the way of, of Saquon Barkley and the lane that gets opened up for him. So obviously keep an eye on that as we get into training camp. Well, one of the the last point that you touched on that I think is important to note is what the, the Giants are, are going to spread things out. They are going to try to maybe even do a bunch more two tight end sets with Kyle Rudolph on one side, Evan Ingram on the other. And when you talk about the four different wide receiving playmakers that you want to get on the field as much as possible, coupled with Saquon Barkley and Devontae Booker in the backfield, it's like there's literally just not enough chess pieces on the board to really give that, you know, dedicated amount of time to a fullback. So, you know, I think it's noteworthy. I think it's something to follow. If Eli Penny is no longer with the Giants at the end of, you know, preseason, pretty much I think it's more stylistically rather than skill set. Yep. And then that's one of those things that we said we like to move into as we talk about the Giants roster building of now you when once you bring the floor up enough where you feel like the foundation is sound, you can start getting selective around. Does this player fit the need that we have here as opposed to warm bodies on the field? The next one, by the way, we talk about it. I mean, this is actually a little interesting. We talk about special teams and at the punter position. We know that the Giants brought in Ryan Santoso to, to compete. He's a he's a place kicker and punter, so he can do multiple things for you. I I still stand by it. We talked about this going back uh, to last year, I think, on the podcast at one point, where I just said I don't know why, shy of obviously injury concerns. That's 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 the why. It's an easy answer, but that more teams or that more players at the college level don't do both. Be a punter and a kicker. Just give yourself more value at the NFL level, even if it just means that you can be the backup for both, right? You could be on a practice squad at the NFL level and say, if either the punter or kicker goes down, I'm ready to have my name called. Santoso gets brought in because Riley Dixon, going back to last year, has a career low sub 40 average yards per punt. And he also struggled, which I think was the more visual thing. The distance on the punts is maybe here nor there. But he struggled on his place kicks. When you're talking about pinning teams down inside the 10, right? Changing field position uh, for your defense. That's supposed to be one of his strengths. He struggled in that area. This is another one where I go, Eli Penny, I think, has value, but could just not be necessarily a scheme fit as they move forward, depending on how things shake out. In in, uh, Dixon's case, I think this is a clear cut. If Santosa looks good, I think that it's his job to lose. I think that Joe Judge and his emphasis on special teams and that importance, Dixon, bad year to have a bad year if you're talking about entrenching yourself here as the Giants continue to grow. Well, so 
I, coming from a soccer background, have a fine appreciation for some of the different special teams players. I think, I think, Adam, you are underselling how difficult it is to both punt and kick field goals and do kickoffs in the NFL. And I think it's it's one of our um, lazy arguments to be like, oh, well, like they all kind of just use your foot. So like, there's like, let's just have one guy do it all. Like it, like it's like you know, I'm not saying it's easy. But I think that it, I think that you would be capable of doing it. I think that there are punters and kickers that would be capable of doing this. But why don't we just also have our punter and kicker play quarterback too, and like throw the football and do everything else? I'm here to defend the honor and specialization of punters and kickers, Adam. We will not. We will not let you besmirch their roles and responsibilities. I guess you're right. It's team. why running backs never catch passes. It's why they never catch passes because they're only running backs. Right, exactly. That's why they're not wide receivers. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, um, I may be. Uh, I need. I need to do a qualifier here. I may be slightly biased in this whole situation because Riley Dixon, former Syracuse <laughs> alumni, right? And so I, 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 near and dear to my heart, Adam. It's it's tough because Riley Dixon does make a pretty hefty salary, and the big thing is there's no guaranteed money left for him on his contract yeah. with the Giants that he signed a couple of years ago back in 2019. So he's making, you know, two and a half to 2.8, I think it's something like that, million dollars. And and the question that you yeah, I first said is, well, what is that comparable to some of the other punters in the league? And to be honest with you, he's the eighth highest paid punter salary-wise. Now, production-wise, he was not the eighth best <laughs> punter in the league. And, you know, what I like to do is take one step back and say, is this an aberration or is this a trend? Like, what's going on with him? You know, he was he was 11th in the league in punt average the year before that. So when he signed his contract, he was, you know, just on the on the breaking edge of, of being top 10. Listen, you could live with that if he's if he's getting paid around the eighth eighth and he's giving you the 10 to 12th best production. You're like, yeah, that's kind of what we sign up for. I think for me, it's yeah, it's tough. There's there's no there's with no money and no issues when if you had to cut Riley Dixon clean, I, I could see the Giants wanting to make that move. But also like. I don't know. Are they allocating that money anywhere else in the short term? Is there another guy that we need? Because if not, then let's go with the seasoned veteran that you know has the ability to be a, a potentially top 10 punter. Yeah, exactly. Again, this is all about just improving the team and getting better. And sometimes it's easier to take a bit of a flyer on a guy or have a guy fill a role for you for a couple of seasons. And then as expectations start to ramp up, you start to say, well, what are some of the fine details here? And maybe the ability for someone who could be a top 10 punter for you, who could change field position for you. That means it's worth looking at it. And then also maybe creating a little bit of cap space on the side. Well, Adam, do you think the OGP listeners woke up this morning being like, man, I just want to hear Andy and Adam talk extensively about the punter battle at training camp and what we think. That's why we just keep throwing curveballs like this all the time, because you just never know which position battle we're going to talk about. The punter one is clearly at the forefront right now. Cat on a hot tin roof, friends. Our feet are always dancing. We're always looking. We're always trying to find that angle. Listen, because you know why, too? Because we're going to get into a lot of the key positions across this roster, and we're going to see a lot of these results. When training camp starts, you'll start to see a lot of things flesh out. But if you're looking for a juicier area of the team to explore it obviously is the secondary we talked about it last week the strength of this defense how high can it possibly rise and that's why i bring up the the aaron robinson versus darnay holmes battle in in the uh, secondary and specifically at the slot corner position 
Now we're talking about relatively speaking, go back to last year. We highlighted some of the guys like Yadam last week, but Darnay Holmes was a fourth round pick. He played pretty well. One of the highlights that you brought in last week was didn't surrender any touchdowns. And that's a pretty big feather in your cap. The other thing though, that you have to consider is, and I just want to go to the stats here, 41 of 52 completions surrendered. So that's nearly 80%, 406 yards. So for about 10 yards per clip, and even though he said, I think he had a handful of pass deflections as well in there, but no touchdowns surrendered. Now, if you're in the slot corner and you're talking about third and X and you're giving up about 10 yards per completion, you can start to glean the idea of it. I'm not even knocking him really, but when the Giants move up in the third round and they go get a player like Aaron Robinson, who's two or three inches taller, a little bit bigger. And when you go inside his college, this is actually the interesting one to me that I wanted to throw out is he surrendered 63 of 113 in college for 665. Same average yards per completion, basically. So you can throw that out the window. 15 pass deflections, I thought was really important because it means you're in the area capable of making those at sub 60 completion as well on that. But then by NFL ratings, he graded out at 79.7 in his last college season. I just think that when you look at the roster, and I want to get into how I think it could break down for them, the Giants want very badly for Aaron Robinson to entrench himself as the starting slot corner for this team coming out of training camp. That is, I, I you know, we can talk about offensive line and QB play and all these other things, but that has to be one of the highest check marks that Joe Judge would love to see happen is he is our starter because now we know it's Bradbury, it's Jackson, and it's Robinson. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and you know, what's interesting about Aaron Robinson specifically is that it, it feels like this is a, a hand selection hand pick from Joe judge and Patrick Graham. Like I know Darnay Holmes was just drafted last year and, and Joe judge was there. I, I fully appreciate that, but you look at Aaron Robinson. Oh, it just so happened that he spent a year at Alabama with Nick Saban, who happens to be very good friends with Joe Judge. And it's like, I'm sure that there was a couple of phone calls that were made that were like, hey, I know he left the program, went to UCF probably for more playing time. You saw something in him, Nick. He, he ended up flourishing at UCF. Um, you know, I think that that is the goal for the Giants is they would love to see you know Aaron Robinson flourish in this new system. I'm not there yet. I'm not willing to give up on Darnay Holmes yet, Adam. I know you wanted me to take the bait. I know you, you you dangled it out there and you want like a little piece of meat and you wanted me to just say I'm all in on Robinson. I'm not. I think we're far too quick to, you know, throw these guys to the side when they don't become superstars in year one. And like Darnay Holmes was a mid-round pick for a reason, right? We thought he could be a really good slot corner. It takes a while to get your feet underneath you. I think – as this defense grows and as you ask Darnay Holmes to do specific things as opposed to as much as he can, I, I think he's going to look better. And so, I mean, we talk about, you know, the cliche of iron sharpens iron. I love this this battle. I, I hope that Darnay Holmes wins it and Aaron Robinson is still a key contributor on defense throughout the year as he grows. But, but man, if Robinson wins that out, it feels like, you know, Darnay is just going to be, you know, be jettisoned to the back, uh, back of the line in terms of the cornerback room well well so that so that and that brings my second point i'm not out on darnay holmes by any stretch of the imagination either so go back to last year you had yadam up and down performances etc by the end of the year julian love ends up getting inserted over top of him now julian love who was drafted played corner at college then we switch him over to safety a little bit but then we 
end up getting Logan Ryan. We draft Xavier McKinney. Now, all of a sudden, we have this nice, really nice collection there. Now, we've talked about what's the versatility? How can these players be used? The way that I want to look at it is when you talk about playing in the, in the nickel package and you have Bradbury, you have Jackson, and you have Robinson, but then go the layer deeper. What about when you move into the dime? See, now I look at it as now I want to have that be Bradbury, Jackson, with Robinson and Darnay Holmes on there at those other two inside corner positions. And then when I look at the depth, I say, okay, now Julian Love and Yadam, you guys are the backups on the outside. You no longer have to get put into bad positions of playing on the interior where maybe you're not traditionally suited for. You're a little bit undersized. You don't have the strength. You're a little outmatched from a speed or quickness standpoint. And to your point, Everyone gets to specialize a little more. When are you going to use Julian Love? I I think someone who's going to get relegated to a lot of backup reps is going to be Julian Love. I think that he's the, you know, maybe the most odd man out, although because he's at least a drafted player by the New York football giants, you look at him and say, if you're talking about guys you want to see develop, want to see get reps over maybe a Yatum, I prefer to be Love. I'd like to see him to continue to develop because he looks like he has the physicality. Now it's just about... Does he have the quick hips, the, the, the you know the shiftiness on the outside to stay with some of these receivers? So on a week-to-week basis and matchup-to-matchup basis, Love, Yadam can have their little roles. But I like the idea, and to your point, Robinson's still going to be a rookie. He's still going to be developing. So the timeshare there can be, it can be a 50-50 split. It can be 60-40 by the end of the year where you want Robinson as a player you moved up in the third round to go get. You want him to start to take the lion's share. But I think that Darnay Holmes can clearly still have a very nice role on this team and that just speaks to the strength of the secondary and maybe more definitively saying where do we think all these pieces fit these are how these can line up and check off well it's funny how how you ended that is actually like my pivot point it's to me the Giants secondary is so good because they could put any combination of all of these secondary players on the field. And you'd have no idea what the scheme looks like, what the package looks like. And anytime you can get an exotic, exotic look for, for a quarterback, that's like, okay, who's the safety in this one? Where's the safety? How are we? Who's, who's, uh, you know, who's the, who's the nickel corner? Like that's difficult when you could just say the, the safety could be anyone from Jabril Peppers, Logan Ryan, Xavier McKinney, Julian Love. Like you, if they're out there, it's like, who's playing what position I think that gives the Giants an advantage where it's like we don't specifically put all these different people in a box. Like all those guys I mentioned, one could be the strong side safety, one could be the free safety on any given passing play. And that allows Patrick Graham to get a little bit more creative with what he's looking to do. So to me, I love this. Like, And and the other piece I will say uh, real quick is it also depends if we're talking about like scripted plays a a couple times a game or or like uh, you know a handful of plays where Aaron Robinson will come in for Darnay Holmes. Or if there's a big injury that yeah. causes someone to, to jump in and who are we going to play and where, where are they going to set up? Obviously, I think that changes things drastically. And as uh, over on our YouTube Live where John Doe was chiming in about Xavier McKinney, right? He comes on late in the season. He plays a ton of reps in the nickel package, certainly as well. And the question becomes, and I think it's, it's right to bring it up. Are you going to use Xavier McKinney even more in that role now? Or was that a product of a couple of things? One, he's finally healthy back on the field. You want to give him as many reps as possible at the end of the year just so that he starts to get ramped up and feels like there was some amount of a rookie season. 
And then also, was it a product of maybe not having the depth there, right? Now you get a Dory Jackson in. So now it feels like, well, now Yadam doesn't have to play out there. Now Love doesn't have to be forced into. Where does Logan Ryan fit in? Peppers, you know, schematically, what do you want to accomplish with him? I will say, though, it's, it's a fair point to the idea of above all of these guys, Holmes, uh, above Robinson, above Yadam, above Love, above Logan Ryan, <laughs> you know, so many players. Xavier McKinney, who was a steal, as we know, he does, we, we know he's an X factor. It's in the name, but wherever he's best utilized is going to dictate how everyone else gets utilized, right? He, if if you if putting him next to Peppers deep makes a lot of sense, great. If him being single high when Peppers goes into the box works, great. But wherever you think, week to week, by the way, wherever you think the best matchup for him is, that's going to dictate how the shares go out behind them. And I think you will see that with, with uh, Patrick Graham Week-to-week basis, matchup-to-matchup. Matchup. If you think bringing Xavier McKinney down into the nickel package with consistency against Team X is going to be the most disruptive thing, done deal, right? But if you think that the physicality maybe of a Robinson can help you get to point B, that's what it's going to look like. So we're, I, I'll be very interested to see. I think training camp can tell us some things, but maybe you know that one preseason game maybe will tell us this, and then week one, week two, week three, you'll really start to see. How do these guys look in camp and how does Patrick Graham evaluate where they're best used? Yeah. And, and as we think about it, it just, it, it hits home the point to me, Adam, that, you know, we start talking about Xavier McKinney, Jabril Peppers. You bring up all these names of great guys in our secondary. Uh, it sounds crazy, but we, we kind of know what we're going to get from James Bradbury. We know we're going to get top five production, whether or not the rest of the world wants to admit that he's that good of a player is a whole nother thing, but it really comes down to a Dory Jackson. If if, yep. if a Dory Jackson is the guy that we think he is, and that's why we paid a premium, you have James Bradbury closing down their number one. If a Dory Jackson can just wipe out their number two wide receiver, think about what that means for the rest of the defense. What types of looks, what types of blitzes, what types of coverages you can put in deep. It's like if a Dory Jackson is the guy that we just paid him to be, this Giants defense could be all-time great in terms of, of, of Giant defenses, and that's saying a lot, Adam. Oh, for sure. That's why it makes it exciting. That's why that's how we're intrigued. That's why color me intrigued, friends. We'll leave it there for now. But then, again, the 27th, as training camp gets underway, we'll start to get a sense of these things and some of the looks that maybe we're getting. And obviously, even just the idea of how does Aaron Robinson look early in training camp? Where does his role kind of flesh out? And how does Darnay Holmes look? Has he taken a step forward in his progression? I want to get out the door on what else? If you come to OGP, you come here for the offensive line. That's what you're here for, friends. That's what everybody needs. Quickly, I wanted to touch on, uh, there's a couple of things. So first, you go back to uh, this past offseason. I want to make sure I get the right uh, information up here. So th- this is off of pro football focus, and we, we try to use a few different things, and that's why I actually pulled uh, some other information off of uh, athlonsports.com as well. But going by pro football focus, they said, looking back at, the, at last season and just ranking the offensive lines, it's worth noting uh, two, the two, last two offensive lines in the league, uh, and I'll you know, to gild the lily here, but do you think, were the Giants last or second to last? I The only guess that I have, because I didn't, I didn't see this one, I'm going to say the Giants were second to last to the Jets. That would be my guess. So they are second to last, but they're not second, in, second to last to the Jets. By the way, I'll actually pull up and see here. The New York Jets, which I assume would be safely down the list here somewhere, they came in at 29th, so they were close. Yeah. <laughs> 30th was the Bengals, 31st was the New York Football Giants. But here's why I thought, I just wanted to touch on this briefly. The Chargers were the 32nd 
rated offensive line. And That's scary. The that's scary. And, the, and that, the reason why I bring it up is, and this is to a point that you had made when we were talking about quarterbacks off, off podcast around Justin Herbert. And, you know, where do you, where would you rank him? And we're going to probably come back in and, and reset our uh, value for cost on our QB chart that we had done last year as well. The fact that he had the type of season that he did in his rookie year behind the, by some metrics, worst offensive line in the league is that thing that makes you cast your eyes back over to the Giants and back over to Daniel Jones and say, we always go back and forth about expectations and how much can you offset because of the offensive line play or lack thereof. And then you also go, and you got to make it happen, right? If you're Daniel Jones, you have to make it happen. And this was just a little flash in my mind of, man, some proof in the pudding here. Here's a team that didn't have a great offensive line, and yet here's a young quarterback really achieving. Daniel Jones not on the level of of a uh, Justin Herbert coming out of college by, you know, by, by most scouting, but, but he was able to get the job done. Does that, well, I guess maybe really just to put a feather in your cap about saying that Justin Herbert is, is quality and maybe is entrenching himself close to that top 10, even at this young point of his career. Well, thank you for, for acknowledging some of our off, uh, off air comments. You know, I was, I was, Coming out of school, I was like, oh, can Justin Herbert do what he needs to do? And then, like, 10 seconds of watching him throw football, I was like, that's going to be a guy. Like, he's yeah. the dude. Like, some guys are the guy. Other guys are not. He is the guy. Um, what's What's interesting is you look at the, the Bengals being at the bottom of the list. They have a, another all-world quarterback, too, that they couldn't keep healthy, that, you know, tore his leg because they couldn't keep him upright. Um, but, but here's the thing, Adam, and, and this does worry me slightly, is that, like, you look at Justin Herbert, you look at Joe Burrow, they had the two worst lines outside of the Giants in the entire league, and you looked at both of those quarterbacks, and you're like, they're doing it all in spite of these offensive lines, and we can tell through all of this, we can filter this out and say these guys are amazing. We know that the Giants have had a terrible offensive line, but the jury's still out in terms of Daniel Jones and his ball security and how he's actually going to look overall. So it actually does concern me a little because the other two at the bottom of the list you know are going to be great. and so like. They're not using the offensive line as an excuse for their quarterback play. Yeah, and again, I think that's expectations around what you think these quarterbacks are supposed to be coming into the league. And then also, though, you know, talent around them, right? You go on a case-by-case basis. Now, Burrow and Cincinnati, it's not like they were exactly, you know, you have A.J. Green at the end of his career, although tried to resurge a little bit. What, what, Where would you rank their receiving core in his rookie season? Obviously, having a player like Keenan Allen, a true still number one, plus some of the other weapons they have there uh, in in uh, L.A., makes you feel like good leg up, right? Good starting point. And when you think when you think about the Giants, and we've talked about the myriad of whether it's injuries or lack of production from a player like Evan Ingram, you go, well, you know, who knows what these numbers could look like if you were checking off some other boxes. Now, that's it, it's a little bit of, you know, uh, let me let me give you my list of excuses why Daniel Jones shouldn't be held accountable at the end of the day. I'd still rather have seen Daniel Jones do what Justin Herbert did as opposed to some of the results that we got. The other quick piece here I just want to get to because before we do get out the door is, and I said, athlonsports.com. Here's the other piece of it. 2021 NFL rankings by position across the offensive line. So the first thing that I just brought up here quickly was when you run through the tackles, guess what? There's not, there's not going to be a giant listed there in the top 20. That shouldn't shock anybody. You move over to the guard position though. And guess what? There's a giant, well, former giant. And that would be one Kevin Zeitler. Now with the Ravens, he's listed as ninth overall. So 
when you look back and then you can go through the other positions, no giants are listed on the top 20 at any position across the offensive line coming into this season. So to tie it into the idea of where were they and where are we headed, these question marks still exist around this team. And when you see Zeitler there, we understand the dollars and cents of it and all that stuff. And yet, I, I think with the way the Giants offseason went and then the way the draft went, you maybe do look back and say, was that definitely the move to make there? Would having a Zeitler on this roster right now change how you felt about things coming into this year? We know the question marks around the young guys, but it, it does bubble up this sense of, I know we have optimism, and I guess the question really becomes, 2022, how many Giants will be ranked in the top 20 across the offensive line when, when a rank like this comes out? Yeah, that's that's the tough part. But but Adam, we knew this. We knew this You know, after the offseason the Giants <laughs> had. like The offensive line was terrible. We didn't do very much in the offseason to address the fact that the offensive line was terrible. We have your boy, Nate Solder, coming back, which could be a huge boost to this offensive line. You got Matt- Real quick, I'm sorry because I read this and I wasn't going to bring it up on it, but the money that they reduced his contract by was the same amount of money that they would have saved by cutting him. So just to be clear, the reason, again, I'll keep saying this, he's there to be a locker room guy. He's there to be a veteran for the young players. The only reason why he's still on the roster is because it was the same amount of money to keep him or to not have him be there. I can't, I can't wait till at some point in the season, Nate Solder plays, it plays some type of role to help the Giants win a game or two. And man, Adam, that next, that Monday morning show, once that happens, just you root for a Giants disaster is just so negative going into a year because that's the only way it'll take a disaster for him to be playing a, 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 a significant role in this offensive line. I, I just can't wait. I'm excited to, to, to see that day. We, you know, everyone on the show knows that you are not a Nate Solder fan from a football on the field perspective. Correct. You know, I, I won't, I won't, you know, anything off the field. We all know that he's a great guy. You don't want to go into that realm, but you know, you know, the amount of shots that you take at him for his on-field play does lead a lot of people. I've talked to a few of the of the listeners of the show. They're mm. worried if you they, they were throwing out the V word, which like I I don't I don't think it's a vendetta, but th- that's what they were talking about. There's been rumors, and you know what? Listen, I'm not going to outright deny them. I'm not, I'm not going to outright deny them. So how about that? Yeah, stir the pot a little bit, friends. Maybe I do. Maybe there's a bit of a problem there. But but to your point, though, these question marks that we have around the line, and you know, we, we talked about this before, and we'll get out the door on it. Training camp is such a fickle thing. When you think that your team is getting better, that's, you know, right now, you look at the defensive side of the ball. Now is where you get to say, okay, I, I think now the defense we feel strong enough about that if the offensive line looks good in training camp, you'll feel like it's an earned looking better. Three or four years ago, we used to see guys go, oh, offensive line is playing pretty well. And you go, yeah, but the team kind of sucks. So when, right. you're, when you're playing one of the worst defenses in the league in training camp, you don't necessarily feel like, ah, oh, pummeled those guys. And then when the season kicked off, you go, See, I knew it. I knew it was just crap playing against crap. Now we have a chance maybe to learn if Thomas, if Pert, right? If these guys look somewhat dominant or at least look like they're taking a step forward, you feel like there's substance there. The the Giants game plan was have the offensive line mature and grow together, not necessarily just bring in another piece to put on the chessboard that's going to perform better than than the last one. But Adam, the, the thing I will also say, and we'll get out on this, the Giants improve the offensive line 
by also getting as many weapons as they did for the offense. Yes. By by getting Kenny Galladay, you now can have uh you know Daniel Jones throw the ball faster. There's a guy that can get separation. You look at a guy like Kadarius Tony being drafted in the first round. He is a matchup nightmare. Get the ball to him in space. You're looking to get the ball out of Daniel Jones's hands faster. You look at Saquon Barkley coming back from injury. All pro running back can pick up six yards or bro- break a, a touchdown run for 60 yards makes the offensive line look that much better. So while the players on the line itself may not have changed all that much for us, these weapons are just ways to get the ball out of Daniel Jones' hand and not rely on them to to hold off a, an uh, all-pro defender like Aaron Donald for three seconds. And at the end of the day, this is the risk-reward of what the – this is what the Giants chose to do. They believe that by adding weapons, as you needed to – it will also reflect in the improved play by the offensive line along with their development because they're young across there as well. So uh, do I think it's going to pay off? Yes. Do I have confidence in Thomas and Pert and Gates? Yes. And even Lemieux to a lesser? Yes. And (laughs) as long as it pays off, then it was all worth it. If all of a sudden we're there week one saying, boy, Daniel Jones is running for his life, or boy, it doesn't matter how open Galladay is, if there isn't enough time to throw to him, all of a sudden we'll be looking back at at Gettleman and the organization and having some questions to ask. You can continue to find us on YouTube as we do the live streams in the mornings for OGP. And of course, wherever you get your podcast needs fulfilled, follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast. In the meantime, friends, Zandy Makowitz would want, would need, and certainly would demand that the people know As always, let's go Big Blue.